You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The scripture reading for this morning is taken from Exodus 3, the verses 1 to 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever 
the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. I have the joy of proclaiming the word of God to you this morning on verse 14 of Exodus 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, has God ever called you to do something in the past that you felt reluctant to do because you just didn't feel up to the task? And is perhaps God calling you to do something in the present? There are things going on in your life. Perhaps he's calling you to make some fundamental changes in your life. Perhaps you're struggling with maybe even a career change. There can be all sorts of other things going on in our lives in the present, and we feel the hand of God upon us calling us to do this. But we shy away from doing it because we feel unqualified to do it. And undoubtedly, God will call us to do something in the future as well. Because God is always calling us to do something. It's part of living in relationship with God. He's the one who's leading our lives. And we follow in his footsteps. And so obviously God will call us to do something in the future. Those who are elderly among us may wonder how our lives will unfold as we get older. Will we end up in a wheelchair? Will our minds remain as clear as they are now? Will God call me to be a caregiver to my spouse? And if he does, or any other calling he gives me, will I be able to do it? Imagine the Israelites, brothers and sisters, standing on the plains of Moab. And I ask you to imagine them because they were the first readers or the first hearers of the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. And so they got to hear Exodus 3 as well. They were the first hearers of that text. And there they stand on the plains of Moab. A former generation has died in the wilderness, and God is calling them to go into the land of Canaan and wage a jihad, a holy war for God. 
it doesn't take much imagination to to imagine that at least some of those Israelites may have thought, do we have what it takes to do what God is calling us to do? And imagine those Israelites in the land of Babylon in exile. They were another group of readers of the Pentateuch. These Old Testament books, the pre-exilic books were fine-tuned in exile. And that doesn't undermine the inspiration of the Scriptures at all. The inspiration of the Scriptures is a mystery. It's a very complicated process of how we got our Bible today, but we believe and we confess that the Holy Spirit guided the authors, guided the editors. And so there in Babylon, you have another group of Israelites who have to spend 70 years in exile. Strangers and sojourners kicked out of the promised land. Do we have what it takes? And do and will our children have what it will take to spend 70 years in exile? Imagine getting sentenced to jail because you've been dealing in drugs or so, and you have to spend 12 years in jail. It doesn't take much imagination that you're going to ask yourself, how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to survive those 12 years? These Israelites in Babylon must have asked themselves something similar. And I begin my sermon this way because we know that Moses was asking himself precisely this question. Moses is shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro, in the wilderness. And he had just led the flock of sheep to the west side of the wilderness. And behold, he sees a bush on fire. And the bush is not being consumed. Normally, you'd hear crackle, pop, and the twigs slowly disintegrate and fall. And none of that was happening. Everything remained intact in the bush. And so Moses goes over to the bush, and God calls out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your shoes, for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. And what is Moses' response? He hides his face from the presence of God. You always see this in the Scriptures. Whenever a sinful mortal being comes face to face with the holiness of God, 
they realized just how small and how sinful they really are. Remember Isaiah? Those seraphim singing back and forth antiphonally to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And Isaiah falls to the ground and he says to the Lord, I'm undone. I'm unraveling. I'm becoming unglued. I have a dirty mouth, Lord. And I dwell among a people with dirty mouths. God says to him, I am the God of your fathers. The God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. As the holy God. As the God of your fathers, I am a God who sees. I have seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. And as a holy God of your fathers, I have heard. I'm a God who hears. I've heard their cries. I've heard the whimpering of the little children crying out, Mama, Papa, how long is this going to last? I'm a God who knows. I know everything about their suffering. And I'm a God who has come down. I'm going to bring my people up out of this land of misery, this jail of suffering, and I'm going to bring them, put them in a great and spacious land, the land of the Canaanites and all the other Hivites and Ites that follow. And you, Moses... You're the one who's going to bring my people Israel out of that land. And yes, Moses, I think, may have snickered a little bit. Me? Who am I that I'm going to bring my people, your people, out of Egypt? Perhaps Moses felt totally unqualified, totally unsuited, completely reluctant to do what the Lord was calling him to do. Because there was once a time in his life that he thought he was able to do it. When he saw an Egyptian beating a fellow Israelite, and he thought, maybe God is calling me to deliver my people from the hands of the Egyptians. And so he killed the Egyptian. Only to find out the next day that the word had gotten out and he fled for his life. He blew it. And he had spent 40 years in Midian since. And now God says, yeah, you have to do it. And he laughs. He snickers. 
He feels he can't do it. And God simply says, I will be with you. That's all you need. You just need me. I will be with you. And Moses says, if I come to Egypt and I say that you have sent me, they will undoubtedly ask me, what is your name? Then what shall I say? Now, a name doesn't mean very much today. My guess is that most of you don't even know what your name means. And your names may have been picked because the name may have been in vogue at that time. It may have had a nice ring to it. And so they gave, your parents gave you that name. But names in the Scripture had a lot of meaning to them. They functioned as a sort of personality profile of the person. Remember Nabal and Abigail? And David is about to seek revenge on Nabal because of his maltreatment of him. And Abigail, his wife, intervenes and comes to the rescue. And she says, my husband's name is Nabal. And that name means fool. And fool he is. So against that background, Moses asks, they're going to ask you, what is your name? What is your personality profile? What are you like? What can we count on you to do for us? And God simply says, I am who I am. Yeah, yeah. Asher, yeah, yeah. And I mentioned this Hebrew because God had said the same thing when Moses had asked him or when Moses felt unqualified, and God had said to Moses, I will be with you. I will be present. God had said, yeah, yeah. And now in response to what is your name, he says, again, yeah, yeah. And he adds, asher, yeah, yeah. I am who I am. Which means, I am present. Or I will be present. It allows for both translations. And more precisely, if you look at your liturgy sheet, I will be continually present. I will be faithfully present. I will be actively present. In each and every situation of your life, for your good. <clears throat> and because I am, you can do what God is calling you to do. I will be continually present. We get this out of God calling himself the God of your father. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, Israelites, look back at the history of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. Look how I was continually present with your forefathers. Abraham, having to wait 25 years for the child of the promise. The light of my presence was always shining upon Abraham. The light of my presence was always shining on the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob. In all these twists and turns and all these tricks that Jacob played, I was always present in his life. He thought many times that he needed to take his life into his own hands and manage his own life. But I was the God who was always present in his life. And through the ups and downs of his life, I taught him that. I taught him that he needed to trust in me. Especially with that wrestling match at the Jabbok. So that Jacob could confess at the end of his life when he's blessing Joseph's two boys. He says so beautifully, the God who has shepherded me all these years. That comes out of the mouth of Jacob, the tricker, the liar. The guy's got it behind the old elbow. He had learned God is always present in my life for my good. God is continually present. That hasn't changed. God is faithfully present. We get that aspect of the name from the fact that God is going to deliver His people out of Egypt. Those of you who remember your Bible stories will remember that God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. Remember those animals are all cut in half and they're all facing each other according to the custom of that time. And God puts Abraham asleep and God goes through this street of blood with a, in the form of a smoking pot. And he makes this covenant with Abraham. And he says, your people are going to have to go to Egypt for 400 years. But when the 400 years are over, I will bring them up out of that land. And we see this happening in our text. Yeah, yeah, asher, yeah, yeah. I am who I am. Always was, always am and will be, but also faithfully. When I say something, when I promise something, 
You can count on me to do what I have promised to do. And actively present in your life. We get that aspect of the name from the fact that God says, I see. I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their whimpers and their ouch, ouch, you know, and the whips come down. I've heard all of that. And I know about their sufferings. The light of my presence is shining upon them 24-7, whether they are aware of this or not. And my presence is an active presence. I'm actively, dynamically engaged and involved in their lives for their good and for your good too, Moses. Remember, Moses, when you were that hothead and you thought you had to take matters into your own hands and you thought you could be a self-proclaimed liberator of my people in Egypt Remember that, Moses? Now look at you. The Bible calls Moses the meekest man who ever lived. God was actively present in Moses' life, chipping away at the image of God in Moses, bringing out patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness in Moses during all these years as the light of his presence was shining upon him with a warmth and a strength zillion times as more powerful and effective as the sun. You think the sun does something to you, don't you? I mean, you have to put on sunblock because you're so afraid that the sun will burn you. Think of God, the light of His presence. The potency, the strength of that presence to work for your good in your life. And then leading Moses into the desert. Training him. God knew what he was doing. God knew that Moses would have to lead his people for 40 years in the wilderness. So he first of all sent him for 40 years in the desert of Midian. To acquaint him with desert life. For your good, Moses. And my people's good. It has been asked, well, why did God actually have his people go to Egypt? I mean, once the famine was over, why didn't God bring the Israelites back into the land of Canaan? Why why did he have them stay there for 400 years in the land of Goshen? It has been suggested, and I think rightfully so, 
that because the people of Israel were a very small people, and if they would have gone back to the land of Canaan, they would have been exposed to the hostility of all of those ites that are mentioned there. Parasites, Hivites, and so forth. And they were all independent nation states there. And the chances of the Israelites, unless God miraculously intervened, of course, the chances of the Israelites being exterminated, like Hitler wanted to exterminate the Jews, would have been pretty great. And God wanted his little nation in embryo. Jacob was 70 people when they came to Egypt. God wanted this nation in embryo to grow and to multiply and to become a nation of a couple of million people. And so he had them stay in Goshen for 400 years. Bit of an isolated place. The Egyptians at first didn't bother them at all. The light of my presence is shining upon you actively for your good. And we know from Joshua 24 that the Israelites were serving foreign gods. And they were God's people. It's even possible that when they were crying out to so-called God, that they were crying out to Egyptian gods to help them. And they were God's people. So God puts them with their back against the wall with these whips on their backs so that they would know that He was God and that He would come and rescue them with a power encounter with Pharaoh, with those ten plagues and that miraculous journey through the Red Sea. The Egyptian gods were not God, but yeah, yeah, Asher, yeah, yeah, He is God. And they had to know that. Actively present in your life for your good. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense. When all you see is clouds and you have to fly by radar as someone once said. Pilots fly by radar right through the clouds, right through the fog. They can't see a thing. But they have radar. God's people are called to live by faith. Even when the clouds in their lives are ominous. They fly by radar. They live by faith. And they focus their eyes on ye yeah, I share yeah. The Lord. Who's there? Always was, always is, always will be faithfully and actively. You need to believe that. Especially when the going gets rough. We live by faith and not by sight. What an encouragement to Moses that he can do what God is calling him to do. 
What an encouragement to those Israelites encamped on the plains of Moab and those Israelites languishing in Babylon. What an encouragement to you, brothers and sisters. What an encouragement to me. Because ultimately this name Lord takes us right into the heart of the covenant where God says, I will be God to you. That's it. I will be God to you. I will be present. That's all you need. Nothing more. Nothing less. We see this all the clearer when we see the Lord Jesus Christ calling himself, I am. If he would have spoken Hebrew, he would have said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the bread of life. Yeah, yeah, the gate. Yeah, yeah, the good shepherd. That's what he would have said. But he said, ego, Amy, the good shepherd. It's translated in the Greek. The Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the Lord. The embodiment of the presence of the Lord. If ever you want to have any doubt or have any doubt that God is present or will be present, God has taken away all uncertainty by giving us Jesus. And he said, look at him. When you fly by radar, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and the shame and is now seated at the right hand of his heavenly Father. Christian life is about. It's focusing on Jesus. And tie it into Lord's Day 1, right? 450 years, Heidelberg Catechism. It's a jubileum year. What's your only comfort in life and death? I am not my own, but I belong to yeah, yeah. I belong to the Lord. I belong to that God who is continually, faithfully, dynamically, actively present in my life for my God. So go on your way as you leave the auditorium, focusing your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be qualified to do what God calls you to do. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.